Welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine and GoldmineMag.com. Goldmine is the music collector's magazine since 1974. And we're proud to be on the Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon is like the MTV of podcast platforms. Okay, well this episode we're going to be talking to Mark Wise Guy Weiss. Uh, world-renowned photographer, I probably know who Mark Weiss is if you're into rock and roll and rock photography. He started out sneaking his camera into Kiss concerts, getting all these, probably about 1977. And then after taking a lot of his pictures where he snuck in a camera, he went and did a cold call to Circus Magazine and got his first spread. That was in the late 70s. And throughout the whole 80s, he took unbelievable photographers with the top rock and roll stars, everyone from Blondie to Guns N' Roses. Um, you probably remember some of his photos on album covers, which would be, uh, whether it be Twist the Sisters' Stay Hungry or Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet. Um, he did tons of photos with Ozzy Osbourne. Aerosmith, Motley Crue, Metallica, you name it. So he has come out with a hardcover book with a forward by Rob Halford and afterward by Eddie Trunk, the radio personality. And all his photography is in there from the 80s, and it's called The Decade That Rocked. It's one of the, uh, I would say, one of the most beautiful rock and roll coffee table books I've seen, and that's not just because I've known uh, Mark for decades, but it really is quite an achievement. So we'll be on the phone talking about it, and you know, for a hardcover book, it's priced fairly well at fifty fifty dollars and three hundred and seventy eight pages of beautiful photography. And we'll talk to Mark all about it. We'll talk about all the celebrities that he took photos of. Well, of course, we'll talk about the book, but we'll also talk about the album covers that he created with photography. Album covers that became iconic, whether you like the artist or not. Um, So anyway, we'll get Mark on the phone, and we'll be talking to him. Hey, man. Mark? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, it's Pat. How are you? I'm good. This is one of the most beautiful books, Mark, I've seen, man. You really knocked it out of the park with this one. Um, I've seen others that were good, you know, but I'm talking about the design, not just your photography, the design, the size, everything. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times photographers get paperbacks and it just doesn't work as well. You know what I mean? I like the nice table the coffee table books because that's yeah. what photography should have, man. Something where it's a conversation piece, you know. But you know, we'll exactly. talk more about that. I I actually I actually never had a coffee table, so I bought one. And I, <laughs> I, I have all my books on it. I, I googled <laughs> heavy metal coffee table, and I got this heavy metal looking coffee table. Um. So you've come out with this beautiful coffee table book, hardcover book called The Decade That Rocked, covering your photography through the 80s. But I wanted to ask you, why now? Why why not 20 years ago? Why did you decide to release it now? Uh, it's not releasing it. It's 
it's when I produced it. Like 20 years ago, I didn't have it in me to do it. Like I didn't, like at that point, it, it was kind of like dire straits. You know, I was working with pop bands at the time. My heart really wasn't into producing a book, first of all, just to make money. And the most important thing is I wanted my head to be in the right spot to do it. And it just wasn't there. It wasn't there 20 years ago. It wasn't there 10 years ago. It started getting there at about, actually about 10 years ago, it started getting there when I did my first gallery. But then like seven years ago is when I committed to Insight, where the first book was going to be just a book on hair bands because it would have been easy, I thought, you know, like, you know, just bands from pretty much 1985, 1986 when everyone had hairspray in, like including Ozzy and a lot of a lot of the bands that are even a little heavier. Mm-hmm. So it would have been an easy book to do. But then I thought after a year of working on it that I didn't want that to be my first book out there. I want my first book. I decided, all right, I like the process of, of making this book. Um, I got a taste of it. Um but I don't want it to be that book. And then the publishers agreed. They said, you know, so what are you thinking? And I said, well, how about a book about me, my narrative, my story, you know, let's do that first. And, and let's tell the tales of the photo shoots that really, you know, kind of framed me as a photographer of the eighties mm-hmm. and, and do the shoots that really meant something to me that kind of like were game changers and helped my career out. And then after that, maybe do a book on, on the hair bands or on Motley Crue or Bon Jovi mm-hmm. or on the road or what there's a, there's, there's, there's dozens, dozens of them, you know? So uh, I was glad I waited and then it, it took five years to put out to make because I wanted it to be right. And, 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 you know, I'm very proud of it. And thanks for, uh, you know, giving me some, uh, accolades. To that yeah, well. you should, you should be proud of it. I think you, chose the right method to do it by year because the way the 80s evolved i mean you have more than just hair bands in here you have blondie you have the ramones you have motorhead which certainly is they're heavy metal but they're certainly not a hair band um and i like the way because the 80s evolved in a certain way and you show from the eight nineteen eighty the uh, the new wave of british heavy metal and then you show how New Wave was sort of getting edgy uh, with Blondie and stuff like that. There was a big scene in New York. And then, you know, you went through the hair bands, like you said, 85, 86. Then Metallica and Guns N' Roses were game changers. Um, They pretty much uh, killed glam and hair bands right there. (laughs) And then um, from there, you went, you, you basically followed the trend of the, the 80s up until 90, 1990. Um, so I thought the yeah. way you did it by year was great instead of doing it by same, saying a theme, you know, because it also showed the evolution of you as a, as a photographer. You're right. It does. I mean, it shows the evolution of me as a photographer, but it also shows the evolution of that music. Yes. It's like, it, it really. I mean, when you say hair bands and hair metal and all that, they're really all those bands in my book. I mean, you could all call them all hair bands pretty much, but, you know, that was just like a little niche thing that that was the fashion trend for a few years. You know, Mm -hmm. Guns N' Roses was metal. Pantera was uh, hair, I mean, hair hair metal. Yeah. Uh, Pantera, too. I mean, you know, so so it pretty much, you know, I kind of captured and the book kind of shows the... 
you know, the evolution of rock music in the 80s. And, yeah. you know, starting out down and dirty with, like, Judas Priest and Scorpions and, and, uh, and then just taking it through all the different, like, things. Just like Aerosmith. I mean, Aerosmith was every kind of metal you could think of. Pop metal, rock metal, hair metal, you know, everything, you know, same. So they, they kind of, you know, it just, it just was a, it just was an evolution. And, uh, my photography kind of captured it. And I like take credit for a little bit of input too, you know, with some of my shoots that influenced other bands that when they saw them on my album covers for, for better or for worse, you know? Um, so yeah, the book is pretty much, it's pretty much like like a, a history book of 80s rock. Yeah, that's what I like about it. And I also like the fact that the before you start that, you give a little introduction to yourself, how you started. Um, you came from humble beginnings and showed how you built this enthusiasm as a photographer, taking cameras into shows. I mean, I love that because I was... I grew up the same way as an enthusiastic rock and roll fan. And, and at first I took photographs and I started writing about the music. And I really enjoyed reading that. And Gene Simmons had a great quote. He said that he considered you a rock star. If, he didn't, if you didn't have a camera hanging around your neck, it would be a Les Paul guitar. <laughs> That's a pretty great comment. Just to yeah, show that you were you were really in the trenches. I was literally. Uh, I know Rob Rob Halford did the forward. Yep. And uh, and you know he even goes he goes you know he just look at me down there and he I and he, he his quote was I look like a metal maniac possessed you know because I'm you know you got five guys on stage and I'm constantly looking back and forth you know and and looking at the corner of my eye like who's you know, who's got the moves, you know, and it's not always the singer or the guitar player. So you just got to look for that moment. So, uh, you know, it, it, it was fun. You know, I, I always had fun and I was always very aggressive. I still am, you know, when I'm shooting today, I just, I love that whole experience and capturing it. Yeah. In fact, uh, Billy Squire said that you being a fan added to your talent. And I, I agree because you knew the bands, right? So it helps that definitely helps. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I wish I could be up there on stage. You know, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't have the, I don't, I don't have the talent, but uh, I feel there's a connection when I'm at in the pit. So it, that it works for me, and I was satisfied for you know being one of the best, if not the best, photographer from that decade, rather than being a really crappy guitar player and some cover band that can't even get a gig what did you pick up first did you ever pick up a guitar did you pick up the guitar first or camera first no no i i picked up a guitar uh when i was like 13 14 you know yeah. about the same time when i got to the camera because you know it's, it's, the, it's the first time i got interested to music you know that's when i became interested in being around it and having something to do with it so why not give it a shot you know and and try to play and and do that but when i realized that i really didn't have any talent doing that um then uh you know i took the photo photography actually uh the reason why i mean i don't have an ear for music that i don't have because you don't have to have a memory for an ear 
Mm. And I figured, you know, I'll I'll try to learn the chords and try to learn the leads and, you know, maybe something will, you know, register that way. And I tried that and that didn't work. And I didn't really know why I couldn't, like, remember these songs, you know, whether it was the words or, or the chord progressions. And then later on in my life, in high school and after high school, I realized that uh, my memory was really shot. And I just assumed that I just didn't have the smarts and, and ended up, I ended up realizing that from my motorcycle accident when I was 12, mm. it really knocked my head around and, and did some damage. So uh, it's kind of ironic that, you know, after the motorcycle accident, I started mowing lawns and then I got my camera about mm. the same time. Yeah, you. it seems like you expressed your love for music through the lens. Like you knew how to capture those things that you like seeing live, the images, and you just knew when to click. I think Billy Squire's right. <laughs> you you were doing it for yourself as much as for anyone else, right? Yeah, I mean, you know what? It, it's an instinct. And it's fun, mm. and uh, just gl- glad I found it. I, I probably have my own landscaping business right now if, if that didn't happen. Yeah, you see it in I'm the not book. Being too happy. I think one of your first pictures was Eric Clapton, right? That was my first. Uh, Elton John was my first oh. one, and, uh, uh, but that was like that was from my seat all the way in the back. You can hardly even see him, but that's how I learned. But right. uh, how to get that? I needed to get close. Right. So yeah, so that was. Uh, the Clapton in 1975 when I was 15 when my brother brought me to uh, see Clapton for my birthday and it, we got really close seats so I was able to get some good shots so yeah that that kind of gave me the bug yeah I know we we used that shot as a a, a vintage shot giveaway in Goldmine <laughs> the Eric Clapton that's how good it was yeah um, right and I was I was 15 right yeah uh, and also you had have a way with. Um, posing people or getting people to i mean when you have a group of musicians it's hard to get them to all listen and do what you you directing them and deborah harry the singer of blondie said you you put people at ease and trying to get everyone to pose for a shot in the right way what what's your secret to that uh just knowing that that's your job that's what you have to do it's like you have no choice if you want a good photograph you have to take control of the situation and you gotta make all four or five members you know listen to you and you just gotta find a way to do it and some photographers yell at them you know and i don't even know how they get away with it but you know they've had success you know uh me i like to have a little more fun and kid around a little bit and just get to get them to be comfortable because you know, many, fortunately, many of the, the bands in the 80s, they were posers, but there were a handful that weren't, and there was a handful or one or two in each band that um, sometimes really were uncomfortable, and it's up to me to make, make it that they're not uncomfortable. And being uncomfortable in front of the camera is not something, I mean, you could learn it, but it, and they and eventually they did. But it's just a feeling you get. Like some people just don't like their picture taken, even if they're in a band and they're in a hair metal, heavy yeah. metal band. I mean, generally they like their picture taken, but there yeah. are musicians. I mean, there's a lot of musicians that don't really want to, you know, they, they don't want the attention, you know, or there's not a lot of them, but there are some out there that are like that. And it, they still need to blend in with the other guys in the band, you know, mm. and you need to make them feel comfortable. And sometimes the band members act out and 
try to kid around and give you the finger, and that's their way of dealing with their uncomfortableness. Right. Sometimes, right. sometimes they just don't know. They just look like they just seen headlights, and you're a deer, like you know, deer in the headlights. <laughs> so it's up to me or the photographer in control to direct them to feel as good as possible and get them results where they're all happy and so they hire you next time. Yeah, in the book you tell about, uh, you usually had no trouble except some, like everyone, you know, when I interview bands, there's a, most of the time I'm personable and friendly like you are and I joke around. But every once in a while you get somebody who's having a bad day or whatever and you explain how Danzig was a challenge to photograph. <laughs> right, but, but, that, but he wasn't having a bad day. He was having a bad life. <laughs> yes <laughs> well his lyrics show that yeah because that's his personality you know right. you know and uh you know they hired me to do the album packaging for that their first album which is their biggest the Danzig right. one right and uh had all the hits on it and they hired me for that i never met him before when they weren't i wasn't getting what i wanted i i'm a little more hands-on and I start touching and like grabbing. Sometimes I even tickle them, you know, but I knew not to do that. These guys, if I knew them, I would like just kid around, whisper in their ear and, you know, kid around. But they were just very, when, when they weren't listening to me, I, I, I kind of grab their shoulders and I pull them to me a little bit and I'll, I'll, you know, so when I got to Glenn, he's like, don't touch me. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And then I didn't. I went back, took a few more pictures, and like, all right, well, I guess we're done now. And they ended up loving the photos. And the next day, I called the record company up. I said, uh, you know, I just want to see if you got the pictures okay. And he goes, yeah, everyone, everyone liked, loved the photos. And you know, but what did you do to Dan, uh, to Glenn? He he never wants to work with you again. And I, <laughs> and I told him. I told him the story. I told him the story, and he's like, ah, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have touched him. Like, Carl, thanks for telling me, you know. <laughs> oh my God! Well, what can you do? At least they like the photos, you know. Exactly. But the, it seems like, as far as ev I'm, everyone, you got along with um, Ozzy the most. It seems like, right? Ozzy was just a connect had a connection with you immediately, right? And you got you got yeah. him to do some outrageous things. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't want to say that I, have, I had a better connection with Ozzy than I did with Tom Kiefer or Don Dockin or even Jeff Labar or anyone, any of the, you know, I kind of have the same connection, you know, they get me, you know, unless you don't get me like Glenn, you know, uh, Ozzy, you know, was Ozzy. I mean, the Prince of Darkness, you know, Black Sabbath, you know, so. But you got you him know, to do things he, like um, pose to make it look like he's ironing a baby or put, put him in a Easter bunny suit. <laughs> he did dress well, and drag. Yeah. Ozzy had a sense of humor and yeah. unlike anyone else, probably Ozzy was the most fun. Uh, and it, of course, when you have a lot of fun, you get along with the person. And right. so I, I would, you know, it, it was a special relationship. It still is, you know, yep. uh, I have uh, a tendency to have fun with all my subjects, you know, just like I would my friends. Right. 
Yeah, that definitely shows. I guess that that really came out with Ozzy. Um, it comes out it with did, everybody, yeah, but yeah, the fact that who came up with a lot of the ideas, like the Easter Bunny suit, yeah. was it yeah. him or? No, it's mostly me on these things. <laughs> well, that was pure magic. <laughs> To get him to, was there anything that he wouldn't do? That's the question. Uh, no, pretty much he did almost anything I, you know, yeah. I, I asked him to do. Yeah. And you also introduced musicians and singers to their bands. I mean, look at Sebastian Bach. You introduced him to Skid Row, correct? Right? That's correct. Yeah. I met him uh, in 1986 when he was in Madame X. Right. They uh, hired me to take some photos, and then uh, several months later, I got married, and I decided, I told my secretary to invite them. I said, you know, they're probably not going to come, but why don't you invite them? They were they were, they were nice, you know, they were kind of cool. And they all came. They drove from Detroit, I believe, and they came to the wedding, and Zach was, just got into Ozzy. Uh, and so at the end of the wedding, they all went up on stage with... Uh, Actually, it was Sebastian and Madame X. They and they called and Zach and they called up uh, Kevin Dubrow and they did "Bang Your Head." And they did it. They did about thirty-five minutes worth of. Uh, they did their own little set. You know, did some Zeppelin, some ZZ Top. And wait, this and was at this was at your wedding. At my wedding, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and we and we actually just I just found the footage. Rolling Stone did a story on me, and we started talking about it. And I'm like, I wonder where that footage is. And next thing you know, it I found it, and we're gonna um, we're gonna pump, we're gonna put it online. The videos of them playing, for, wow, you know, first time. But you were like a matchmaker for bands. <laughs> so hey, you know, if if uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it happens. It, it was fun, you know, fun. Just you you, you put people together. Why not? You yeah. Know, if you're you you hear they're looking for a singer, and you and you have one, and you see one that's super talented and is right in your face, you hook them up. Same with the guitar player. I mean, I was with uh, Ozzy and Sharon the night before I I I uh, met Zach, or a couple of days before, and she took me to see this guy in Long Island with Ozzy, and he wasn't the guy, and I. When we left, I just said, I'll keep my eyes open. And then a few days later, my friend Dave felt that I just saw this guy, uh, Zach Wyland, play in this club. And I think he's the guy. And I said, well, bring him up. I'm Actually, Ozzy's going to be in my studio looking at some pictures. So bring him up and let's show him to him if you really think he's the guy. Uh, what the heck? You never know. Because he really swore, like, this This guy looks great, he sounds good, you're not going to believe it. And I said, all right, go ahead. And I told Sharon about it. And then Sharon said, all right, we'll come by and meet him, you know, why not? Mm. And they and they didn't come that day because Ozzy was out getting drunk with Andre the Giant. But Zach came, <laughs> and I made a tape and get, left it for Sharon and Ozzy to listen to on the way to England the next morning. Hmm. But Zach waited around. Till, Zach waited around till midnight because Sharon kept calling me. Yeah, we're gonna come, but we're having drinks with Andre, and then we're to turn into dinner, and then it turned into them having a drinking contest, and then it ended up being them both passing out, you know, on each other. Like it was a tie. And and then she said she's really sorry. Tell Zach, you know, uh, we'll listen to the tape, and 
and then they listened to it. And then when they got to England, they said, they said, bring him to California. You know, we'll audition him. And yeah. the rest is history. I, in fact, um, as you know, I used to do the magazine Powerline, and I think we used your photo of Zach and Ozzy for the premiere issue. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, I remember that. Zach had yeah. sprayed up hair. Um, now, yeah. you couldn't picture him with sprayed up hair, but um, what a transition he made. Um, and another thing I noticed about you is that you're great at marketing yourself. And I remember going into your studio in the 80s, and I was like, man, he is so organized. <laughs> A lot of other photographers, you know, they have slides everywhere. You had everything in drawers, and it was like... The studio looked nice and clean, and I was just so impressed. <laughs> and oh, thanks. You, you, were, you were always not only organized, but you knew how to market yourself. And like you said, you never quit, and that's a gift because a lot of people have the talent, but they don't know how to get their name out there. You know what I mean? And you have to get your name out there. you gotta be, you got to be sort of, uh, you know, gung-ho. you got to be... You, you got to be a squeaky wheel. Yeah, and, and you, you got to let them know. You got to let them know, and it's like you got to you got to do each shoot like it could be your last one, or you might get some. You know, I, I never wanted to rely on one thing. You know, so it's like you have to you have to get your feet in, uh, as many doors as you can. So when it's when it's a rainy day, you know you won't feel it as much. Right, um, and uh, that's what I did. I just. I spent so much money on film back then. I, I don't even, I never had a fancy car or anything, you know. Yeah. I just invested everything into my business, whether right. it was my staff or whether it was a, a nice studio in New York City, you know. Um, I just felt that it was important at, at that time to invest in myself and, and what I had going on. Because I knew what I had going on was something. Uh, with my access that I, I created for myself. So I just wanted to, I knew that capturing these images were going to be priceless one day. And I knew they were, they would be valuable at the, at that time, but I also knew that they would be even more valuable today. Oh yeah. The more I think about it, and I asked you that question, why not 20 years ago? But I think now is the right time because people are getting, you know, 80s memorabilia starting to come around and people are collecting more stuff in the 80s and, and people are remembering, oh, that's when I grew up. And it seemed now people are really thinking about the 80s more. And it just seems like the perfect time to come out with anything 80s. You know what I'm saying? They're, yeah, feel, they're yeah. feeling nostalgic. Yeah, it, it's the right time. I mean, I've been approached 20 years ago to, to do something that's like, you know, I, I, I always say, be patient and it will, it will, the right yeah. time will come. Yeah. I, I used to be not a patient person, but, uh, I learned to be, you know, yeah. and, uh, and that's my, uh, message to anyone that, that asked me about that kind of stuff, for sure. Well, best um, of luck with the book and thanks for doing the podcast. And there'll be more of, uh, There'll be something else, of course, on the book in print. Well, thanks so much, man. And you got it. Thank you, Mark Weiss, for taking the time out to be on the Goldmine Podcast. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine and also editor of GoldmineMag.com. We are the Music Collectors Magazine, and we've been here since 1974. 
you can go to goldmymag.com and get percentage off the subscription price, both print and digital, have it delivered right to you, or you can go to the newsstand. Um, I know it's kind of hard during these COVID times, but newsstands are open, or you can ask for the magazine for pickup, curbside pickup, and that's at Select Barnes & Noble and Books A Million store, stores and also uh, independent record stores. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Goldmine Podcast. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.